Hey everybody, I'm Bob Baker with Jazz Guitar Today, and we're here with Ralph Towner, who is in Rome right now, if I'm not mistaken. Are you in Rome? Right. Yeah, I'm a resident here. We're talking Rome, Italy now, not Rome, Georgia. But yeah. But Rome, but Rome, Italy. It's it's tried to say it, but it's it's still true, and so why not say it? It's an honor to talk with you. Oh, thanks. I'm flattered. Yeah, no, it really is. I mean, um, God, you've been around since the 70s, really, or late 60s, early uh, 70s. Started, I moved to New York in 68. Yeah. And so I'm in, the, in that first wave of uh, musicians that were trying to write something different. So. If I listen long enough to you, I find a way. Oh, my God, you got Tim Martin in there. <laughs> you know, that was... Uh, <laughs> not that game and said oh you see cinema folks in here yeah but i needed i really needed a game and said oh there's this little folk festival up in up near woodstock mm-hmm. and in the little folk festival happened turned out to have uh 450,000 people in it <laughs> and uh, we carried in by helicopter and uh the band, and not only was I playing with this total stranger, I had no idea what was all happening. And as the helicopter loomed over the, the site uh-huh. of my little folk gig, I thought I was having. <laughs> uh, and it's like one of those cartoons where the where the uh, you know the the fox goes running off the cliff, and just for a moment doesn't realize he's. <laughs> Out in mid area. <laughs> yeah. Let me let me get back to your um your little gig with Tim Harden. Now people yeah. that don't know, Tim Harden was a folk singer from the sixties who wrote uh If I Were a Carpenter and Reason to Believe and uh Lady Came from Baltimore and all of that. And I'm a big fan of his music. And I saw that you had you had played with him, so that we were kind of so you're talking about you you got hired, I guess, hired onto a gig with him, a little folk gig, and it turned out to be a giant festival. Yeah, turned out to be the Woodstock Festival. <laughs> he did. He I, did. The he open original, original one, nineteen sixty eight. Yeah. <laughs> so you're like, you know, I mean, you're like a real musician, and I and I say that with all. Um, respect and um sincerity you've studied everything i mean you played trumpet as a kid yeah you really went to new york as a pianist i think yeah that's um, right yeah and um well classical guitarist by then but yeah but, uh, i had worked really hard on, on the piano when i started very late also but but uh in the 60s i started working on the piano and uh with the intention of playing uh like Bill Evans, Scott LaFaro and sure. Paul. Well, yeah, but but I was just I was I was reading, I do a little homework, you know, I was reading that, you know, you were doing jam sessions in the in the village with people on piano back then. Yeah. I mean so yeah. that excuse the expression, but that's serious shit. You you just weren't messing around. You know, on the piano at home, yeah. you were you were playing with the best players in the world on piano. At yeah, uh, at that time, uh, 
there weren't this there wasn't this flood of virtuosos that uh, happens but Keith was there already and Chick mm -hmm. but uh, uh, Chick was was somebody just up living up the street and Chick would call me to take to sub for his gigs like with some sax player and Stan Getz and oh yeah and in, in the band that, that he had that was really nice Stanley Clark and, and Tony Tony Williams. <laughs> you know, to play. And of course they went to play lucky piano and play chess chicks tunes. Yeah. Chick called, then she called me and says, well, he just called and said, you can take take my place in this band. But then he called and said, I'm sorry, but Stan wants to do an audition. So I went up and did an audition and uh uh it was fun and I was able to to play all, all these chick tunes, but I brought my own tune very cleverly and plopped that in front of Stan and I had too many. He says, I don't understand these scales and whining. <laughs> and, and then in tune, I counted up and we played it and course Tony and, and uh, Stanley just nailed it, you know, there was no problem with them. And, yeah. and, uh, and so we just were burning away, and and, and poor Stan was like stuck, and and that couldn't. But it made him realize I wasn't fucking around. You know? <laughs> <laughs> oh but, man! But, but because there weren't so many great piano players, I was kind of a third call or second call piano player, and so I would get my gigs like you normally do in a small town. Yeah. So what he hears about the new piano player in town, and if you have an extra gig you can't make, uh, and you ask another piano player to do it, and he says, well, I can't, but there's this new piano player in town that, that sounds pretty good. So, and that's, that's, that's how you build your uh, reputation. Yeah. I'm guessing really, I mean, you have to play really well, or you know, you're forgotten, and you might turn your tail and, and go yeah. back to whatever town you came from and and uh but i had a lot of uh i was really committed to, to piano playing the piano that way and of course i've studied all my compositions i had uh started rearranging standards or finding alternative uh chords which i was always a big harmonic harmony freak and uh bill was just it was kind of everything to me. I could not believe it. But, but my motivation really was before I actually started getting involved in the piano. They very simple to explain. Is that I, I just wanted to know what it felt like to be in that space and play like that. I mean, I was just so taken by it. And I had to know, how does that feel? Right. And that's and that motivation time was anything. So, so models are good to have. And so I, I uh, started figuring out what Bill was doing with his left hand. And uh, fortunately, I had a roommate who played bass. So I had to hear that bass. With the, like, mm -hmm. you move just a few notes around with your left hand. And uh, so, even to this day, I'm not a very good solo piano player because I can't. You know, but my skill became just moving these voicings just right. slightly one finger and the whole world is like just within reach under one hand and right 
course, it all connects to your writing and the melodies, but um, something very intuitive about it. And, and uh, well, you know what's uh, funny. You know what's funny about that is that's very different than your guitar playing. Well, it really isn't. If you, it's yeah. funny to make the link, but uh, well, let me let me tell you where I'm going, yeah. and then, then you can respond. I, I I noticed that your 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 bass your lower voices are very connected, if you will, uh, counterpunctually. I mean, it depends on how far you are. Um, to to your melody lines and your and your mid harmony lines, and so you you're very well. You're saying your left hand isn't a solid on piano on guitar. That, all your voice player, but uh, I I of course I'm playing with bass players, hearing bass players that uh, I loved and that was. You know, and I look back, I'm astounded at the great bass players that I hooked up with. All Bill's bass players, every one of them. And then long duets with, uh, and also actually Dave Holland, was, I played with him, and, and uh, I think Manfred Ecker, he introduced me to Manfred, Dave Holland did. But Dave was another one of those immigrants to New York, and he came to play with Niles. And, uh, we are also to everyone who's descending on New York. I got there maybe a year ahead of everybody from Europe and those people. But uh, I toughed it out and played in the, these bars. But as you said, I slowly was realized the guys I was playing with got better and better were better. And I said, and realized, well, I had I must be getting better too. <laughs> and, uh, I was so committed to the music and the harmony and the way it all fit together. And the guitar is basically the audition is that I'm also covering the bass part. Mm -hmm. I'm a lover of the bass players and, and, and bass concepts. And uh, as I say, I somehow managed to play with every one of Bill Evans's bass players, except for Scott, who was had died by then. And, and uh, so I got there at 68, and uh, uh, I hadn't even heard of the Beatles. You know? <laughs> 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 Did but, you? Uh, and now I'm just staggered to see when they started. I mean, then they really started early, but 63 yeah. or them. If I was a real jazz snob or real classical music snob, and, and I'm, I would just buried I mean, this obsession with, with harmony and melodies just how it all works but I was really obsessed with the emotional feeling and, and all the emotions that seem to be expressed mm -hmm. by this this uh, very clever use of what harmony does in the simplest melody so to this day when I write write tunes uh I'm still a, kind of a songwriter, but then I go and change the planet that they're all on without altering the melody that much. And so there's kind of an unwritten rule that you have to respect the original composer and the, why you were attracted to the melody. And uh, because it was so good. But as far as like adding harmony, like almost a set director you're changing the whole world that that thing's happening in without violating its uh birth its its heritage and so you're showing respect but you're, you're 
plunging forward, you know, with, <laughs> with uh, finding new ways to reveal or couch all this melody in a whole different, uh, like in theater, like a whole different stage set. I mean, a whole different atmosphere right. and world. And, and so I mean, it's all a real adventure for me. And, and uh, But like really spending a lot of time figuring out substitutions for harmonies too, for the standards. Right. Before they realized, well, I'm doing such, making such changes. Then I realized I should start writing. I'd had a little diploma as a classical composer, which didn't add up to uh, much value, you know. And uh, so I, I, whatever offers I got to stay in, in university and teach, I ignored, I mean, and I could afford to, I could ignore anything with that practical because uh, at that point I was kind of orphaned. Finally, my father died when I was three. My mother died when I was 20. So I had a, all, my, all I had, I had some brothers and sisters, older ones. And uh, so I was, came along very late compared to my brothers and sisters I mean, I didn't, I, it was an accident, I'm sure, but, um, <laughs> but you know, but I wonderful support. Everybody was quite musical in the family and nobody said, oh, get a real job or no, I never got hassled about that. So in a way I was uh, free as a bird before I even got to that age when I got fascinated with the classical guitar and I was attracted to it because it was like, uh, piano could do all this uh, stuff that a piano could. Or it had this uh, ability, but it, you could do it with a little bit more of a um, what? Uh, uh, a lot more sounds in a way than you get out of piano. Just a flat piano. But uh, I love the sound of a piano, especially when it's in tune. And uh, I played a lot of gigs, you know, in New York and and, and then later traveling around the world. Uh, imagine a tour of India that was like six weeks. And all the pianos that we found in these things we were playing, at, you know, constant gigs. And uh, some, all the pianos had been abandoned by the English. There, some of them had all their feet chopped off. You couldn't get your knees underneath them. And none of them were in tune. And I had this little piano <laughs> ring. I, I, like a madman tried to straighten the piano right before the thing. And, uh, I never could quite do it. I wasn't really a piano tuner, but uh, I could at least get some close. But it, I mean, it was. Uh, uh, why am I mentioning all this piano thing? Um, no, well, because we got talking about the fact that that you're you have a very very high proficiency as a as a pianist, and I was going to segue over into, and obviously you're known as as a guitar player. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, sure. and and so and your your voicings and your fascination with Bill Evans, um, doesn't just come out of a guitar player observing and copying Bill. It comes out of actual knowledge and, and proficiency on the piano. Yeah, it really was. It, it was, wasn't 
by the time I got the guitar that far, mm-hmm. I knew it had an individual voice, much different set of sounds. Right. And uh, plus, when I studied it, because I didn't start until I was 22, I went to Vienna. So that's another thing I was free to do. I mean, no, nobody in their right mind would go to Vienna with like $300 in their pocket. And somehow I managed to make it there. And, and <laughs> Edition, which I wouldn't realize is famous music academy. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's kind of a funny story. I must say, I never tell that story. Well, go but ahead. I, I had a roommate that played valve trombone. So it was a B flat instrument. And I was just starting on the guitar. I wasn't trying to improvise that much on it. And, uh, but in order to maybe play some standards or, you know, with this, I tuned it up a half step. So that the E strings were in F and everything was up a half step. So it was like very, very high. But I left it there because I kept doing, you know, playing, trying to play little standards with my roommate, bass player, but uh, also working with him with a piano. So, so connecting with that sound and, and how to integrate the bass in there chords and all that but anyway so i finally got there to this great music academy and i think zubin made it was graduating the year i arrived from this music academy in vienna and so there was a line of so i had an audition i was shocked oh god it, they didn't warn me about this <laughs> and i managed somehow to get there and hitchhiking the wrong direction. I'd never heard of an autobahn before in in, <laughs> in Germany. And uh, just getting to Vienna took me like, uh, I managed to, to get this cheap Icelandic airline and very, very dangerous, but it could only <laughs> land in uh, Luxembourg because it was a, like a, almost like a pirate uh, company. <laughs> it was only legally allowed to land in Luxembourg. So I had to hitchhike from Luxembourg to Vienna, and, and uh, of course I went the wrong way. Didn't speak German. It took me two weeks to get to Vienna from Luxembourg. But anyway, so I did this audition, and as soon as I finished, I, I managed somehow to do a couple of Renaissance pieces. So in fact, that was about all I could play. But uh, but I wanted to make sure. I studied and didn't go on any uh, detours or uh, wrong road, wrong way roads, developing a technique. Because I, I wanted to have the sound, you know, sound as good as Julian Breen, basically. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's my goal. Plus playing just classical music. So right. I drove playing anything that was jazz. So I, I studied only that. To get back to the audition uh, with my B-flat guitar, uh, this lineup of the most intimidating professors all wearing these beautiful black suits. And uh, I'm in my jeans or whatever else I was wearing because I didn't have many clothes to take with me. <laughs> Incredible. And so so it really says something about being very naive and being a little stupid because <laughs> to do what I did was that, like, it, there was no reasonable person that was going to put the clamps on my uh, my wishes when, you know, I was responsible for myself, whatever that meant. And uh, 
But anyway, to get back, I got to finish the story about what happened. So I played the Renaissance thing. But they're all being played uh, a half step high. And so all the, the big, all these professors were sort of stickering, you know. They said, uh, play, play a B natural for us. And of course, uh, or was play a C. No, what did I do? Well, they say, yeah, of course, I played a, a, a B flat. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it was a B they wanted to hear. So I played a B flat, I guess. Something like that. But I hit, I knew where, where that sound of C was. Right. I knew I, I was keeping it quiet. And uh, all that big smile just fell off their faces. And, and when the one one uh, professor said, "You knew, you know," just well, why why is it tuned like that? And I said, "Well, I started to say, and it passed through my mind what I was about to say. I had a roommate that played dial trombone, and we played jazz. And I went, it's a long story. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, it was obvious that I was a musician, evidently. So, yeah. so I got into this." Uh, to, with this great professor and, and uh, who taught me perfectly step you know uh, musically all the way always with music mm-hmm. and music that we studied mainly was more like renaissance lute music and transcriptions and baroque and bach and and, uh, and every detail or every uh, there's never an exercise just thrown at you because somebody else did it I mean, there was a reason, musical reason for everything. And you could hear it change your playing and the knowledge of a great teacher. And uh, by the end of the first year, starting from scratch, I was able to play concerts, classical concerts. But wow. that's because of the musician and yeah. the physical tools, if you're taught well, they develop. But right. if you go off in some sort of side side road with some weird position or something that isn't hasn't got anything to do with the sound much, uh, like you start imitating photographs of great players, you never really see their hand. Or you never, you know, you'll never learn to play an instrument until you you're hearing it and and you reach for something you want to hear the quality of something. Right. In my case, I had a credit. I I. Uh, aim when I was trying to accomplish because on the piano I'd managed already at that point before I just left it for a couple of years uh, I knew the sound that I wanted to get I, I mean I'd heard this great piano player from Nat King Cole the Bill Evans of course and, and uh, anybody with a great piano player with a great sound yeah. but Ability to control the pedals or something. It's just there's something innate that I had and and uh, by playing the music. Anyway, my my whole musical life has been really, really intuitive about what I'm mostly I'm trying to reach or what sound I'm trying to get to. And uh and it's free from uh it wasn't built through this kind of torturous approach where like <laughs> Me, a lot of people just, a lot of young students just give up. 
the music is this hard, you know. They didn't have the motivation to really, or the right teachers. And uh, so that that was very fortunate. I, I just blundered around and blundered my way to New York City finally when I thought I was equipped. Right. Which I was, and I didn't like try to immediately shove the classical guitar into the scene. Right. But the scene was changing, even so colorful. And uh, and then I joined a group in the, uh, that asked me to play 12-string guitar. And I thought, oh, there go my nails. I don't like this, you know. I'm going to lose all my sound. But then they had a 12-string. And so I started tuning it differently. Or, uh, But I found it sounded like a harpsichord. If you read, but I was using like classical technique, so it wasn't a strumming thing for me. And so I found a way to like draw these these things with uh, a lot of different attacks and sounds, and and uh, I found a whole other way to play this folk instrument. And then uh, that led to some other. So I played in that this wonderful group that had great instrumentation. And uh, I actually I was hired the Paul Winter's consort, and I was hired and, and along with me hired at the same time was Colin Walcott and Glenn Moore, and uh, and there was Paul McCandless playing the most unbelievable oboe with all the potential new jazz and stuff that was was uh, didn't have a real platform that made his to show what a beautiful instrument was without having to play it like a saxophone quite. Although yeah. he eventually did play it like like uh, Charlie Parker, but but without the, he could do any kind of nuance. And he was like, he's still is. I mean, he's a, he doesn't play the oboe anymore. And uh, which is sad. I mean, but he, uh, he became like a, a benchmark of, of all the classical oboe players in all the orchestras in the, in the world, basically. So he became kind of a superhero for all the oboe players, the, how he evolved, you know. But anyway, so that was, uh, so we made off with just the four of us and uh, broke ranks with this this uh, original band, Sex Tet, that... Uh, Kind of got us out of the bars, really. I mean, I mean, then we started playing college concerts, and uh, anyway, really wonderful kind of uh, evolution. Still keeping all the stuff going, so I still had my life as a jazz piano player, and my life as a. Then I started playing Brazilian music, so I always had uh, this so ability. To, to play different kinds of music other than besides my own so so you met up with with wayne uh shorter on 12 string guitar but two years earlier that's why he uh before weather report was even invented yet yeah and he called me up and i went over to his apartment which which was really fun just the two of us if you can imagine uh and Wayne is showing me all this incredible stuff he's writing. And I mean, we're jumping all over his apartment, his little apartment. And 
and I'm showing him my tapes and stuff. And so he had heard about my 12 string playing from, I think, Miroslav Bitus, because Miroslav played bass. I would hire Miroslav to play bass on some of my little jazz lounge jobs in, right. in Manhattan. So this is how everything is formed. And pretty soon I'm using everybody. One, I think I'm one band, I think we got $20 a night with this little thing. And I put together this little band with Miroslav and uh, uh, I think by then it was Payerto uh, and Michael Brecker. And, uh, you know, this is... This is the kind of shit that was going on. I know. I love it. I mean, it's absolutely. I, I mean, it was a little town, but the people you were calling to come over and hang out or play, or you oh. would go over and pra or practice things like with with the Breckers and uh, at Dave Holland's place and with Abercrombie discovered and uh, we really hooked up. But uh, the, the same with you know, the way it spread, the your right. name, somebody else's name, it was strictly grapevine, small town stuff. Sure. Well, or, you, or let's, you didn't let's, get agents, you know, and get, get appointed a, a job. So uh, the music of Oregon, if you, if you can talk about that for just a minute. I mean, that was so far ahead, at least from my perspective. Uh -huh. You know, how how did how did you I mean, I'm sure you've answered this question a million times, but I'm going to ask it a million one. What the hell were you guys thinking when you put that? Uh, that's what we were thinking. We weren't thinking about being ahead of anybody. You were. <laughs> we had four. I'm still even the place where we could were even worried about it or thinking it in those terms, how we stacked up in, in terms of I mean, we we admired, you know, like that. Uh, Marvish uh, Orchestra and, and uh, even Weather Report, they, they had already done one album. And uh, anyway, but um, we weren't thinking about that. And what the way it worked was that we all played instruments that uh, didn't drown each other out, top right. and percussion. Unfortunately, Colin Walker was also a, a trained classical percussionist and conductor. So this guy had a musical brains, necessary. Oh, and McCandless was unbelievable. Uh, and and he, he, had, he had done some arrangements and played sax. And he, he could play every reed instrument or every wind instrument because his two parents were both band uh, teachers, high school band teachers. Right. So he grew up learning all the instruments and of course but specializing on the double reeds and uh, so he fit in with this this wonderful mel melodic instruments that he really could play but he wasn't even aware of what was to come what really happened was also i finally started writing like a crazy man and and my intent with the, all the writing that I did anyway was uh, with that group so to make sure everybody was playing to their strength somehow without yeah. imitating anybody else. We weren't imitating people. No. We were playing 
but we had to, if you're going to even play an Indian instrument like like the sitar and the tabla, you couldn't just be fucking around with those things. <laughs> and and Paul Malkat happened to have been not only a student, but a, but a roadie, a road manager of Robbie and Alaraka. So he was getting all his lessons in uh, on the instruments in hotel rooms and on the road. For him, it was a real thing. And he really had an ear and a sense of touch he did for sound. So he was a wonderful part of this group, what he could do. And and then, of course, Glenn's bass playing was sort of wild and crazy, but but really had personality. And uh, we all had experience with, with hearing 20th century music, free music, and then standards as far as like uh, Paul and especially Glenn and I. And uh, so we had this collective thing. But as I said, my intention was to write music that made everyone sound comfortable. Right. And uh, with with their skills. And, uh, and then try, keep trying new, for me, music that have these unusual harmonies and well, different scales. I, I mean, uh, I, I was, I, you know, I never mentioned this, but I really also had a wonderful kick in the ass from uh, Danny Zeitland. It was a great, is a great piano player. And I never give him any credit. It's like I keep forgetting. But uh, Denny's Island had a wonderful way of harmonizing tunes. And I uh, got bitten by that also. And uh, as a way to slowly uh, depart from sounding exactly like Bill, except whenever we would play some jam sometimes after, after a gig. We would haul out all the Bill Evans tunes, and I would just put myself in that place again, you know. And Glenn, of course, was a great follower of Scott LaFaro. And then to meet these people, and I got lots of great stories. I mean, I mean, I'm I'm an old fart now with all these stories I can tell about people. No, I realized that uh, I knew that that people that how famous they became. Oh, Jacques yeah. Pastorius came and banged on my door in my apartment in New York, and, and I, I threw, you never do that. You never go to a person's apartment and bang on the door. And so I opened it, and here's this, this big guy. And he said immediately, he says, I'm the world's greatest bass player, and I wrote this piece for you. And he jams this incredible, impossible piece to play with harmonics in it. And, and I'm looking at it, no, well, we don't play that. But in the same breath, he's pushing his way into the apartment, says, and you got to hear this, and has a vinyl record of himself, slams it on my old turntable. We listen to that, and uh, and uh, yet I got to say, I mean, for every boast, boastful sounding thing this guy would make, he, he could back it up. I mean, <laughs> yeah, maybe you are the best player in the world. <laughs> And, uh, and then I followed his career, and then he hooked up with Pat. Yeah. And they're playing in bars, you know. And uh, 
That's amazing. Let me establish a neighbor, young, these new young guys coming to town. Anyway, but it just goes on and on like that. And so I'm going to move us a little, I'm going to move us a little forward. Oregon was way, 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 I don't know if it was ahead of its time, but I will say that that it is definitely uh, what I'm trying to say is that the world sort of hasn't progressed from, I mean, that music is still holds up like crazy. I mean, it's, so if you, mm. if you, ha- if you haven't heard those records or haven't listened to Oregon, uh, I, I really, you know, people out there, you know, go check this stuff out. It's freaking incredible. And, um, and, and, and I want to make sure that we, we get that, we get that said because it's, it's, it's truly incredible music. Now, what are you doing today? You're in Rome, and you're you're released this new record called At First Light, and um, the PR on it talks about you know Bill Evans and talks about all these different people that you're influenced by. What do you want to tell people about At First Light? Well, I don't know. I wrote these program notes on the back. I was kind of proud of it, kind of in a thumbnail sketch of my entire musical life, basically, you know, uh, hearing Hoagie Carmichael in, in the 40s when I was born in 1940. So I actually waded my way through all these layers of music, like anybody does, really. But I, I was, they were uh, being absorbed or attached and uh, all throughout my life. And that, so that ended up, I realized, well, that is a little bit of a thread throughout this record. But so I picked, so I picked tunes that I like, you know, and uh, and I came across all of them in different ways and at different times. I heard the original versions when they came out with Hoggy Carmichael, and uh, and then a uh, uh, little old lady was one of another one of his, but I heard. Uh, I really got not turned on by Little Old Lady when I was at Keith's, on a Keith's trio concert. And they were like just connecting all different standards because they, they didn't have to even know what they're going to play next and thing. Uh, so suddenly they broke into this, this Little Old Lady. I thought, Jesus, I know that one. And, and oh man, it's a wonderful little thing. And, uh, so I said, I got to do a guitar version of that. And then I'd already, uh, I'd heard, I'd always known this, uh, oh, Danny boy. And uh, I thought it would be beautiful playing on the guitar. So, but with some adjustments, but um, so just pieces that really struck me. And then the pieces I was writing, I was very proud of all of those. I mean, they they did include uh, a little portrait of, of what how I was progressing, you know, progressing or changing. But I felt like it this somehow this uh, at first light ended up being a real collection of of my. Uh, my emotional approach to music, anyway, and intellectual. But uh, I've always prized the fact that people can be moved. Just, I just played a solo gig in Shanghai, mm-hmm. China. I haven't been to China, and I didn't know what to expect. And what turned out was 
here was a thousand people that that everyone knew what I did and those that didn't were quick to find out. And it was a, like a Western audience completely. In fact, Shanghai was just like at every uh, store known to, you know, the department store known to man, you know, like, like, and uh, this very Western in as far as the thing, but, but uh, another positive thing was, so this rave, raving audience was just totally into the music and, uh, they were now. I, then I signed autographs you know, for a line of people over a hundred at least. They were all like in their thirties, most, which is kind of like a. And they were there for just the, the power and uh, familiarity of the music, and they they, and they intuitively they loved it, you know. And uh, but they were also very hip about it and you could hear that they were hearing hearing what I was doing and uh, this still happens all over the place I mean in India too and they don't even know what the hell harmony <laughs> but they know something's going on you know if, if they're convinced when I'm playing that there's something going on and they're drawn to that and it's another little credo they're drawn to this music and they like guitar, but uh, when they, uh, I mean, my goal is to play the guitar well enough so that people don't pay attention to that right. and get drawn the music itself. Yeah. If the music any kind of power, any any way it can spirit you away or or be instinctively hurt. So that's why I, I I'm always interested in uh, non musicians' opinions about it. The ones that like it, of course. Right. And I, for anybody that doesn't like it, so. <laughs> well, no, I, 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 you know, I listen. I've, I've, I've watched, I've, I've watched and listened to you play, and, um, you know, you're, you, you just, you have exquisite tone, and great feel, and you communicate emotionally, through your music, beautifully. Well, I, uh, I couldn't do much better than that, and yeah. uh, thank you so much. Yeah, I mean, you just do it beautifully, and it's you know, it's um that's not, it's not that's not common. You know, to have all of those traits put together, so everything you've talked about, you know, in this in our conversation, you know, really comes down to that. You just communicate your emotions beautifully, with exquisite technique and tone, and um you know, put putting all that all together is you know that's a big freaking deal, Ralph. Yeah, well, that's nice of you to say. Yeah, I mean that the, but there, I'm mean, there are a lot, lot more people that really do this though. I mean, I mean, these kind of musicians exist, you know. And uh, Keith was one of them. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, you, know, you know, they're all over the place, and uh, and and Wayne, of course, and Miles. Well, Miles has a big. He's a backbone, or whatever you call it. Right. The best example of somebody who you never say hear people say, "Oh, what a great trumpet player!" You know, boy, that does not capture Miles Davis at all. No, it, 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 Miles just takes you off on another planet. And, uh, he was a, he, a facilitator. Yeah, it was amazing, but he he had a way of doing it too. I didn't know him at all, but uh, 
first all the tales from Keith about Miles and and Skull too. But um anyway, this I mean he has a big mark on, on a lot of people. It's very oh. important. So I mean, but that it's the, his mark is really this this you can't concept a, a little too uh, cold of a word, you know. No, but it, uh, but he he was a hell of a trumpet player, but that's yeah, he, the, yeah. you had to be that. yeah. I mean, but you had to eat that out of the way, right? And so I, nobody could sit there and be awkward, worried about you fucking you up right and left. Yeah, you know? and yeah. I still thought that you know. I mean, but uh, if I'm carried away, I mean. That's when this this COVID really sort of interrupted the ability to be carried away by your own playing. I mean, in in public, right? And when it finally concerts came back, I realized I had to relearn how to play the guitar and play music in front of a bunch of people. You know, which meant no distractions, no worrying if you left the gas on. In the apartment, and I oh, it's just a really uh, you know, silly things like that. Also, the dangerous thing. You know, I wonder if he liked that or something. After you play a little lick, and then, of course, if you stop the speed of, of uh, thought that you have as a mus- musician. If you interrupt it with a thing like, I wonder if they like that, or, or uh, you, uh, in my case, you're knocked off the pedestal and you're falling down. You have to fight your way back up, <laughs> get back in the groove, or you know, in the zone. And for me, this is going on, but it's amazing how many people don't realize they're just falling off the horse, you know, like 50 times in a concert. Well, I was just thinking about, you know, I was thinking about the music is music is is cerebral and it's physical so you have to be able to conceptualize it and it's got a, a heart component to it as well and um yeah. some sometimes what sometimes what looks cool with your hands doesn't sound all that good to the ear but it looks cool everybody go you know, I, I i've known a lot of guitar players who who play with their eyes and uh and perform with their with other people watching cool stuff and um when i was listening to your your playing um you've you know you've got obviously you know I, that's as close to pure classical technique as i've heard any jazz player play yeah well uh, that's that was my intention yeah. i always maintain that kind of level of technique for yeah. that way to bring out the sounds and the, yeah. in, in the classical guitar so that that was like necessary to study with a great classical guitar teacher, and well, uh, but I yeah. always had intention of, you know, of uh, really making uh, uh, dynamics and touch and attack all that. Uh, no, and, uh, and it's and it's there. I mean, um, strictly, uh, you know, for our audience, uh, you know, the the technical side of the guitar is. Definitely there, no question about it. The compositions are incredibly creative, and the and the approaches to the things that you did not compose 
are um you know you it's you're you, you know you keep to throw it around bill evans but i definitely hear that bill evans elusiveness if you will going yeah. on going on in your harmony and i'm going man i mean you know it it it's uh there's a lot of guys that can play a lot of notes these days but not everybody can pull it all together and have it come out as i said earlier i can't have it come and and authentically communicate emotion to your audience at a high level of um, of technical ability and a high level of cerebral understanding of the harmony and the melody the rhythm your phrasing everything i mean ralph you're you're ralph freaking towner man yeah, yeah. I'm just saying. Uh, who's this guy you're talking about? Yeah, okay. no, I mean, but you, you are. I mean, you, you know, that's, that's why you can go to Shanghai and play for a thousand people. They quote unquote, you know, and have have them know your music and know your tunes because. Oh, that you know. was a total surprise. I didn't yeah. Well, I think. I, I'm sorry. Uh, anyway, see, I've got another story. A thousand stories to go with that. But. You got. We got time for for one more story. Go for it, brother. Oh no! I I, I just ran dry by pointing it uh, out. Oh no! Please. You you lost your page. <laughs> yeah, I did. Yeah, I mean, I got I had a senior moment there. Well, I, I I you're a little bit ahead of me, uh, but I have them too, so no no worries there. Well, listen, man, thank you so much for for doing this today. The the record, uh-huh. the record is at first light. It came out in March. If I'm not mistaken, um, beautiful, 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 beautiful piece of work from a guy that has been there from the beginning of it. Play with everybody. I mean, literally every name, you know, all the names, the hollowed names. Uh, you played with them all. And, yeah, I'm uh, amazed at that. I mean, and and here's the thing that's really, really cool. You're living in freaking Rome. That ain't too bad. No, I thought madly in love, and and uh, I've found this wonderful, true love, and we've been together now for over thirty years. Wow! And uh, I mean, I we're really happy. She's an actress and a writer, but she's she's currently she's not here today because she's doing a film on location for about a week, and I have to figure out what to eat and what to feed. <laughs> well, we'll go downstairs. <laughs> oh yeah, right down in the Kentucky. Uh, uh, yeah, well, no, there's no Kentucky. Listen, I've been there. There's no uh, Kentucky yeah. Pride. Go downstairs and get yourself a a gelada because they're on every corner. Oh yeah, no, I know. I'm my favorite too. But I'm in a neighborhood that everything is within a few steps from. Oh, I I love that about Rome. I love that about yeah. you know. I don't know. We got lucky with the neighborhood we're in and. And everything's just like across the street or the door, and and some of them are the best in Rome, like like the sweet shop and great bread thing. And I have a little gym I go to that's right next door. Oh man, I don't even uh, have to. I can walk out there in my shorts and gym thing, go down the ramp, do my little workout, come right back up, and be home in less than a minute. Like less than. Well, you know, I'll tell you, I I only eat when I do eat wheat. I don't eat much wheat, but I only eat wheat with Italian wheat, you know, Italian bread, Italian wheat, because it it has it's, yeah. it's, 
it's a different it's a different it's different than what we we grow over here yeah you know, there are a lot of the taste different i mean the things i didn't yeah. think I didn't know about you know yeah and, but, um, now uh, now you know yeah it's a mediterranean diet they call yeah, it so yeah yeah i could still stop myself on that and get overweight and uh if i'm not careful which well, i haven't lately so here you we know. are with with ralph towner from rome italy I'm Bob Baker with Jazz Guitar Today. The record is at first light. It's on ECM. We didn't even talk about ECM and their philosophy, which people don't know. Uh, it's basically record everything in a couple of days and make it as live as possible so everything's vibrant and fresh and right, you know, right there as a musician played it. And uh, I love that label, ECM. Love that label. And you've been on your solo records. Every one of them is on ECM for all these years. You're one, yeah. one of his first guys. Yeah, I was one of the first guys in the yeah. set for 72. Absolutely. Thank you, Ralph. Okay, thank you. Uh, man, thank you very much. Bob Baker for Jazz Guitar with Ralph Towner. Have a uh, wonderful time. Let's do this again because, man, you got so many stories. Let's do this again and we'll go I all. Old stories. I love it, man. I freaking listen. I freaking love it. You're a little bit of you. I, 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 you're one of the few guys that I interview that's an older fart than me. Because you mentioned Sco earlier. Sco's younger than me. So wow, I didn't realize he's pretty old. So you don't look. Well, I know. How, I know how old you are. I'm 11 years younger than you. Wow, man, incredible. Well, that's a nice. I, that's a hearty age. Uh, anyway. <laughs> well, I was 71 or two again. I'm 72. But if you, you know what? As you know, if you make it this far past a certain age, eh, chances are you're probably going to make it for, for a while longer, which I, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm grateful for that. Take care, yeah. my friend. Okay. Have, a, have a good one. Enjoy. Bye-bye. Bye. 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 Bye.